Casey here. Before we start, we want to remind you that Unscripted is more than a podcast. We're part of a publication called Pass Blue. Pass Blue is a woman-led news site covering the United Nations, and you can subscribe to get our articles right in your inbox. Visit our homepage, passblue.com. Hi, I'm Casey Candela. And I'm Stephanie Fillion, and welcome to Unscripted. Today, we look at how the UN is trying to improve its global image problem with Undersecretary General for Global Communications, Melissa Fleming, and how the UN plans to celebrate its 75th anniversary in 2020 by listening. This is Unscripted, a podcast taking you inside the United Nations and beyond the scripted debates to the people at the heart of it all, the diplomats and the reporters covering them. And today, we're dedicating a whole episode to one person who is truly at the heart of it all, or at least who speaks on behalf of the UN to all, Melissa Fleming, an American who's been working for different UN agencies for almost two decades. She really is at the heart of the UN system here in New York City. I met with her a few days ago on the 10th floor of the Secretariat building. That's the high rise on the UN grounds. Journalists and other visitors are usually limited to the bottom floors of the building and the General Assembly Hall. Her office has a gorgeous view of Manhattan, but I'm pretty sure she doesn't spend a lot of time inside it to enjoy the view. No worries. Of course. Come on in. Can you carry everything? I will carry everything. Oh, thank you so much. How's your day going so far? Oh, it's just been busy. Really? (laughs) As they usually are, yeah. (laughs) I was listening to something about productivity, and the woman was talking about it's important every day to build in white space in your day. And I just thought that is exactly true. That is exactly what I've been. Melissa Fleming was appointed Under Secretary General for Global Communications last September with quite a big mandate. She crafts the UN's image to the whole world, nothing less. But she came to headquarters well prepared for this position. Fleming started her career as a journalist at Radio Free Europe in Germany. But she quickly moved to work in international organizations, first at the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe, more commonly known as the OSCE, and the International Atomic Energy Agency in Vienna. More recently, she worked for the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees, or UNHCR, in Geneva, where she spent the last 10 years. Her former boss there is now Secretary General of the UN. Fleming made a name for herself in Europe by communicating in a way that's unconventional at the UN, like having her own podcast representing the refugee agency, hosting a TED Talk, and even publishing a book about refugees. Yes, and of course, it's probably this unique approach to communications that brought her to New York. She shared an exclusive copy of her communication vision for the year to come, and she's ambitious. But we'll see if her optimistic and ideal vision of communications will work at the headquarters, as it has become easier to criticize the UN globally than to praise it. And as they say, she's not in Geneva anymore. Great. Let's hear the interview. 
So before being appointed as Undersecretary General for Global Communications, you had worked at the International Atomic Energy Agency in Vienna, and more recently at the UN High Commissioner for Refugees in Geneva. So you were familiar with the ins and outs of the UN in those arenas. So how did you approach your new role in New York, and what do you feel is different? Each agency is also different and has a different kind of climate, but the secretariat, of course, it's like you know being this, at the seat of government and um, very intimately close to the member states here. Um, although in different ways, you, as you can imagine, I was at the International Atomic Energy Agency at probably the height of media, public, and um, government focus, and that was you know during the lead up to the Iraq War um, when. There was a lot of um, controversy around uh, nucle the nuclear weapons program in North Korea, and Iran was becoming a big issue as well. And so huge scrutiny by member states, um, you know, real interest in uh, everything that was being discussed inside, and unbelievable uh, interest f from the media. So it was, it, it was definitely an experience that has helped guide me also here. In all areas, the issues are highly sensitive. You know, sometimes you think, I think people from the outside world don't realize, I mean, obviously, n nuclear issues are, are hugely sensitive. And I would spend, you know, half of my time, you know, just building trust internally in order to communicate externally. But when, interestingly, when I moved to UNHCR, the UN Refugee Agency, I thought I could be very outspoken, and you know this, these are human rights issues; these are human beings. But actually, I realized very quickly that um, refugees are almost as sensitive as nuclear weapons. <laughs> really, I mean, a very politicized, um, sadly, uh, group of, of of human beings here at the Secretariat. You know, I have a different job; I'm not the spokesperson, um, and I'm but and I'm so I'm running all kinds of um, areas of communications and so the job is let's say more expansive um, there's much more of a management role um, and of course it's covering the all the broad range of uh, UN issues uh, so it's not a single focus but it's the entire spectrum of what the UN is concerned with and about. So as you said, you're not the spokesperson for the UN Secretary General, for example. You know, the media, we're more familiar with the spokesperson, Stefan Dujaric. So can you sort of explain how different your role is and what's a day like in your life? Well, Stefan um, is, you know, has the day in and day out job of working with the media, taking in all, you know, all the requests, running the noon briefing, Uh, making sure the phones are picked up uh, when the media are calling, um, that he's responsive to the needs of the media, but also that he is reaching out proactively, um, serving the Secretary General's media needs as well, and also positioning the Secretary General in the media. We're in very close collaboration on that because very often there are other dimensions of our communications, and he's working on the media dimension. For me, I'm working on maybe the longer term. I'm working on a, a communication strategy, for example, here that um, will call for a more strategic approach to communications, really audience-focused What are we trying to communicate? Yes, think about that. But who are we trying to communicate to? Um, 
and why are we communicating with this, these people? So if it's a group of people, if it's a government, if it's a, the press, if it's um, certain segments of the public, we need to think about what we want them to know. Um, and also, really importantly, why should they care? And if we really want them to care, how are we going to use communications that are moving, compelling, evocative, and that really make people feel something? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, there's this saying that I always have in the back of my head, statistics are human beings with the tears dried off. There's growing evidence as well that people are turning away from the news. Why are people tuning out? Because they're feeling like there is too much sadness, suffering, gloom, and doom. And not that they don't feel that they need to be informed about this, but it just feels like it's too much. To address this, we're going to be testing a new approach, more of a solutions hope-focused approach to our communications. Always, of course, talking about what the problem is, what are the facts, being the neutral source of information. So before we go deeper into strategy, can you tell me um, how closely you work with the Secretary General, you know, being the first person who conveys the message of the UN? Do you meet with him daily? And do you sort of work on a strategy together? Yeah, well, we meet very frequently. We look at uh, the communications milestones upcoming, you know, whether it's events, um, major speeches, his travel plans, and we then discuss together with Stefan, together with his strategic communication director, um, how are we going to reach the audiences we want to reach through the Secretary General's activity, communication, speech, travel? Um, how are we going to produce around this so that it actually captures the imagination of the world? So if he's speaking to an audience in a full room, let's say it's a university hall, how can we make sure not only does his speech resonate with those people sitting in the room, but that we get it out to as many people as possible through our digital channels. So the meetings are, you know, as frequent. He travels a lot, but when he's here, uh, we definitely touch base quite a bit and mobilize around him because I also believe that, you know, people are attracted to the ideals and the values of the United Nations, but it still feels very institutional and abstract we can humanize the UN, you know, through its leading figures, the Secretary General, the Deputy Secretary General. You know, audiences just really are, are drawn to her amazing um, charisma and passion for the issues that, that she is speaking about. And, you know, there are a number of other UN figures that we, you know, really are trying to profile and highlight so that people see the UN, you know, not just as a as a institutional body, but as um, you know, human beings who are really driven to make this world a better place. So you started the new role in September, and you'll be responsible for communicating the UN's role in the world at a very important moment here in New York City and far beyond, too, for the 75th anniversary of the founding of the United Nations. And it's also taking place at a time when the UN is sort of facing a communication or public relation crisis. So do you have a specific plan to sort of counter that and just say to the world, you know, that's why the UN exists and that's why it works? Actually, this year we're taking a different tact. Uh, and this is actually, the, you know, the Secretary General's wish. And that is, instead of us going around and talking about how much we've accomplished in 75 years, mm -hmm. um, how important the work of the UN is, um, we are actually going to use this anniversary to 
sit back and listen. So we're asking our offices all over the world to conduct listening exercises, um, conversations with people, mostly young people, but all walks of society, and to ask them, actually, what is it that they're concerned about? What is it that they really believe needs to be solved? What are their hopes? What are their dreams? What are their fears? And how do they see the UN being part of the solution? We're going to be taking this information back. It's almost like a, you know, a massive global qualitative survey. There will be a quantitative survey by, you know, a a polling company as well. But we're going to bring all this information back. There's going to be a big event at the General Assembly in September and um, really use that as a springboard to say, look, we, we are, the UN is we the people. And we have spoken to the people of the world. And this is what they want. And this is how we are going to react to it going forward. Support for Unscripted comes from the Institute of International Humanitarian Affairs at Fordham University. This spring, they're offering online humanitarian training courses. Topics include cash, commodities, and services in a humanitarian response, managing or negotiating humanitarian responses, and more. Courses run from March 16th through April 25th. Or earn an international diploma in humanitarian assistance. It's a four-week intensive taught by practicing humanitarian professionals in New York City from May 31st through June 27th. For more information, email miha at fordham.edu. So you shared with us before this interview uh, your new vision for communicating your message at the UN, and you already touched a little bit on it. Um, So, you know, the UN news agencies employs many professional journalists, but instead of using the traditional five W's known in journalism, answering the what, who, when, why, where, and how, you're now talking about the three W's. So what are they, and how did you sort of come up with that? This is something I brought with me from UNHCR. Um, It's called the three W's of cause communications, right? We work for a cause. We have professionals who were journalists who are fantastic and talented and experienced. However, we're not just there to provide information. We're there to capture people's imagination. So the three W's are what? Of course, we need to lead the narrative on authoritative, factual, neutral information. We need to be that source. The second W, though, is why care? We can't just have the objective of raising awareness. It's just simply not enough to get people to do what we need them to do in this urgent age of, you know, climate disaster. And and so we're going to be employing more storytelling, more solutions, hopeful focus approaches to our reporting um, to really pull people in and to give them a sense of, yes, there are problems that affect me, but yes, there actually are ways to solve them. And then once we get them to care, the third W is what now? So what are we going to ask people to do? What is the UN doing about it? but also how are we going to involve people? And so getting people to think about in terms of these three W's, when they're doing their storytelling, when they're doing their press releases even, their speeches, um, is I think going to transform the way we communicate here. 
So I think one good example of that is the tech talk that you've given and also the related book that you've written on the story of a young Syrian refugee. Uh, we can put a link uh, on this on our story related to this podcast. Uh, what effect did the book have? And can you sort of tell me, you know, how was it when you were writing it? This approach has, I tested it, um, it as you mentioned, um, in the form of a TED Talk and also in the form of a book. Um, at the time, there were, you know, probably 70 million forcibly displaced people in the world. Um, I could have just stood up on the stage and talked about 70 million people forcibly displaced in the world. Uh, I don't think anyone would have remembered my talk. Uh, instead, I told the story about one. Uh, and the social psychologists um, will tell you that people really feel numb when they're presented with statistics, especially when it's about mass suffering. They feel, they turn away, they, they can't absorb it, they feel like th th there's no efficacy there. And, but when they hear the story of an individual, they can really relate. They, they, they feel interested, they want to learn more. And so I tested this out, and the TED Talk had well over a million views, and it led to a book I wrote. And, and the book is about a 19-year-old Syrian refugee. The story never fails to, to move audiences to tears, but it also never fails to get audiences to feel real emotion, really, like, for the first time, I understand the refugee experience. For the first time, I really feel like I want to know more about the Syria war. I want to know more about what drives people to flee their homes. I want to know more about why um, refugees feel so compelled to take to the seas when they know that it could result in their death. And so it's been an absolute fabulous proof, in a way, of this methodology of Yes, you, we need to talk about the horrors, the suffering, the big problems of the world, but we can only do so and we can only be effective if we find ways to capture people's imagination through evocative storytelling. So on one hand, there's the UN efforts to sort of change the way the message is being shared to the world, but there's also the way the media covers the UN. Even though you don't deal on a daily basis with the press corps, I'm, they're still around and I'm sure that you read their reports every day. So I'm sure my colleagues in the press corps would like to know how well you think reporters cover the UN and what we can do better. Well, I have a lot of sympathy with the press corps here because um, I think if I had one message, it would be to the editors of the world. Please, covering the UN is important and it requires capacity. And I think most of the, the reporters here are really overstretched and it's very difficult to cover um, everything that is important, even though they would like to. Um, and, I, and I had the same experience with the press corps in Vienna and the same experience with the press corps in Geneva covering the UN. And that said, I was so grateful for that press corps. Um, I know best the press corps in Geneva um, because I just came from there, um, but also here because without them, um, you, the UN would not be covered at all. They are, you know, doing the bread and butter, you know, coverage of, of whatever is happening here. They cover the launch of our reports. They, you know, they do interviews. I mean, do we love it all the time, everything that they write? No, or produce? No, but still we have an, a tremendous um, respect for what they do, and, and we'd love to see them and their teams reinforced. Uh, so just talking about the way the UN is covered, and maybe if we look 
more specifically here in the US, you know, you're American and you spent a lot of time in Europe. So how was it to be back in the US? And how do you think the perception of the UN has changed since you left? Uh, do you think that in the media, it's become a bit easy to criticize the UN? Yeah, I think, you know, it's really, there's certain partisan parts of the media that sometimes use the UN as a scapegoat or blanket distorted, you know, accusations um, about the UN. It's very difficult to counter that or to provide, you know, anything alternative except just to continue to robustly promote the good work of the UN. It is complex to communicate about the UN because what is the UN? The UN is also the member states. And, you know, when you have here a divided Security Council that is really the focus of the press coverage day in and day out, then, of course, people are going to get the impression that the UN is not deciding on anything. And that's why we really try to push the great work that the UN is doing in the field. For me, what's really important on all of our platforms and in our media promotion is that we're not only New York. The best of the UN is helping refugees, is working in war zones to, you know, alleviate suffering. It's combating pandemics. It's keeping the peace. The staff in some of these places are, are so remarkable, the sacrifices they're making. And what frustrates me, if anything, is that the world doesn't know them. The kind of failed financial model of, of journalism in the digital age has meant that there's a scarcity of the foreign correspondent. And so in many parts of the world where UN is is really shining in the work that they're doing, um, helping people, there's no journalists. So we have to cover those places with really minimal resources and offer that coverage to news organizations. And actually, the uptake is pretty good. So anyway, long story short, it's not very easy to depict the UN as a whole because there's a misconception of, you know, it's either it's the UN, the agencies that are really working and they're, they're getting the work, or it's, it's member states are also the UN, and they're judging the effectiveness of the UN based on those kinds of stories too. So one example of that can be climate change. When we talked earlier, you mentioned that a lot of the coverage on climate change makes people feel pessimistic. And I know that you want to address that vision. But if we take, for example, the COP25 or the annual climate change conference in Madrid recently, as much as the UN may want to pass a positive message, the overarching outcome that came out in the media was that countries were just not able to make progress and come to compromise. So how are you sort of trying to fight that and change the narrative? Absolutely. I mean, we express disappointment when we're disappointed, and we were disappointed with the outcomes of uh, Madrid. We are disappointed also with um, the lack of urgency in some, particularly among the big emitters, in addressing climate change and in tackling <laughs> their emissions. Um, we have to communicate this frustration. We have to also raise the alarm bells and showcase the you know the drama and 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 make the link between the fires burning in Australia for example and global warming so this is all important but at the same time we need to also continue to say it can be addressed it can be mitigated it can some in certain areas things can be reversed uh, we need to point to the countries that are doing the right thing we need to put a spotlight on individuals and cities and communities that are taking action that are really making a difference today. In his General Assembly speech, the Secretary General 
just called for a global ban on single-use plastics uh, and cited countries that had actually, you know, were forerunners and already did it and proved that it actually can be done. So we have to be, you know, pointing out where things are going wrong, but also we have to point to how we can make change. So 2020 will be a big year for women's rights at the UN with the 25th anniversary of the Beijing Declaration that will be commemorated through the Commission of the Study of Women in March and also two generations equality forum uh, later in Mexico and Paris. So can you summarize what the UN is hoping to accomplish on these fronts? Yes, well, there are a number of initiatives. I mean, this is a really important anniversary and an opportunity to kind of relaunch, not just to, you know, take stock of where we are in today's world. You know, have we made much progress? Where have we made progress? Where are the gaps still? But I, I get there's this real sense of, you know, we really need to make market change. If we can change the situation in the world for women and girls, then that will have a ripple effect in so many other areas. So, Yes, these meetings are going to be very important, just to also send the message uh, that this is an absolute priority for the UN. But we're also going to hone in from a communication standpoint, because communicating about meetings and anniversaries don't necessarily capture the imagination of the public the way we would like them to. So, you know, we're going to look at a number of issues, for example, women in politics and in leadership. Um, we have um, quite good data on the sorry state of women in leadership, and also some of the reasons why too few women are seeking public office, what they face when they do, online harassment, hate speech, etc. So there are a number of initiatives that we will look at um, in this year for the Secretary General. He has three areas of priority focus this year. One is climate action, the second is gender equality, and the third are the SDGs. So Women and girls are of utmost importance to him and, and to, to us and to our communications as well. This episode was produced by me, Casey Candela, and reported by Stephanie Fillion for Pass Blue, an independent women-led media site covering the United Nations and global affairs. Dulcie Leimbach is our editor, AI Digital created our podcast logo, and our music is by Poddington Bear. A lot happens at the UN beyond what we report in each episode of Unscripted. And Pass Blue is covering the important news, from women's rights to human rights to the Trump effect on the UN. For day-to-day coverage, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And to subscribe to our newsletter, go to passblue.com. Pass Blue's in-depth and exclusive stories and this podcast are possible with the support of the Carnegie Corporation of New York, the New School, and listeners like you. To show your support, visit Pass Blue's website and click Donate. Unscripted is available wherever you find podcasts. If you like today's show, please rate us on iTunes and share with all your friends. 